0: The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org/new. Well, good morning everybody. So good to see you here with us, and good morning to everybody that's joining us online this morning. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter eight. We're going to be looking at a, a story in Acts chapter eight this morning as we continue our series, "One Life at a Time." We're talking about the, really, I believe God's agenda for us as a church for this year, that, that is that we would identify one life that each of us would pray for and invest in, recognizing that this movement that Jesus came to bring began and and has moved forward down through the centuries and continues to move forward today one life at a time. The first week we talked about identifying that person that we are going to pray for and invest in over the course of this year. We talked about seeing people the way that God sees them and and having that sense of compassion the way that that Jesus did. Last week we talked about the idea of God working in us and through us, that we are set free to be sent. And this morning I want to tell you a story that illustrates for us the power of proximity. Proximity of moving up close and personal to people who are far from God. But before we turn our attention to that story, I want to do a little family business with you, just a, a couple of things that I want to touch on. One is this incredible new sound system that we unveiled, began using last week, and we had the folks from Epic here kind of getting that dialed in. And just want to tell you, our amazing tech team is at the helm this week And we are continuing to make adjustments and sort of learn as we go. So thank you for your patience with us as we figure out this incredible new equipment that once again is made possible because of your generosity. And so we're really excited about having that tool to use and learning, continue to uh, adjusting to to use that tool. The other thing I wanna let you know about is something we talked about in our uh, annual meeting last week after the service. And just to give you a little bit of a finance update as we think about finishing last year and moving forward into this year. You may remember that in December, we came to you as a congregation, as a church family, and said, we're praying, asking God to provide for us this last month of the year, $1.5 million. And I'm just thrilled to let you know that he came through, and he came through through you in a big way. It wasn't $1.5 million, it was $1.7 million. Bringing us total for the year to $6.3 million, yes. So God's provided for us $6.3 million in giving, but then in addition to that, one of the things we are able to share is that because of the careful spending of our staff and some positions that uh, either we haven't filled at this point or some positions that we sort of merged together into other, we, we came in under spending on our budget. And so our team spent last year $5.4 million. So do the math for a second. 6.3 million in giving, 5.4 million in spending that, in, that enables us to have 900,000 dollars to be able to invest, to be able to, to mobilize for kingdom purposes as we move forward into 2024. that that we want to use to be able to make an impact to fund some projects that we've been thinking about and praying about for some time that make an impact in our community and around the world. Some things that we're able to do with those resources for some much needed projects for our um, aging campus that really is one of the most important tools that God has entrusted to us to reach the world around us. And there's just some things that we need to do here in this building. And your incredible generosity, God's faithful provision, our staff's Um, careful spending, makes it possible for us to do some really amazing things as we move forward into 2024. Can we just celebrate that together? Yes. And would you join me as we thank God for that and then ask for him to speak to us as we turn our attention to his word. Father, we are so grateful for the way in which you provide for your people. God, you are the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You, um, have infinite resources at your disposal. And I never cease to be amazed at the way in which you provide for this church family through this church family, the way in which you move in the hearts of your people to give, and the way in which this body so faithfully and generously does that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We praise you. And we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to be good stewards of the resources that you've entrusted to us, that we would be able to make an impact for your kingdom as we mobilize these resources to meet needs, to bring the gospel to those who so desperately need to hear it. So use these resources, Lord, for your glory, for your purposes through our hands. And God, now as we turn our attention to your word, this powerful story, we do pray that you would, by your spirit and your word, speak to us today, that we would be moved, that we would be changed, and that we would be challenged and encouraged to move towards those around us with the hope of the gospel. Use this time, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 26. Listen to this story. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he went on his way, and as he went on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, this is such a great story, and and here in this opening passage, we get the setting of the story. We get the main characters of the story. The setting of the story is this road that leads from Jerusalem down to Gaza, an area of the world right now that's experiencing so much turmoil, so much strife, so much pain. It's a road that I've actually traveled a handful of times. It's a desert road, as the text says. It's It's a road that is out in the middle of nowhere, the wilderness, the barren desert. And it says that the angel of the Lord came and spoke to Philip. Now, Philip is a character that we're introduced to back in the book of Acts chapter 6. Philip is one of the first deacons appointed by the church in Jerusalem to serve the needs of the people. But when we meet um, Philip at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, he is having an incredible ministry of evangelism. In fact, later in the text, he's referred to as Philip the evangelist. Philip is in a city in Samaria, and we're told that he's got crowds of people that are coming to hear him preach. And, uh, and the crowds are coming and their lives are being changed. The people are experiencing healing. I mean, Philip is killing it in ministry. He's got hundreds, maybe thousands of lives that are being impacted by his ministry. And then the Lord says, I want you to go to the desert road. Now, I'm just thinking about what I would be thinking if I were Philip. Right? If I got crowds of people, hundreds, maybe thousands of people whose lives are being impacted by preaching, that, that I get the chance to be a part of what God is doing with this big crowd of people, and then he tells me to go to the middle of nowhere, to the desert road, I know what I would be saying. I'd be saying, Lord, you want me? I mean, Lord, I, I got look, look at what's happening over here. You want You want me? Lord, do you want me now? Like, couldn't we wait till like, this kind of dies down over here? Things are really going. Can we just wait a little while? You want me now? Lord, you want me there in the middle of nowhere? That's the way that I would respond. Thankfully, Philip's not like me. Thankfully, Philip hears this invitation from God and walks away from the crowds of people because God is gonna call Philip away from the crowd for the sake of the one. And the one that Philip encounters on on this road, we're told is an Ethiopian eunuch who serves in the court of the Kandake. Now, a few things about this you need to know. The the word Ethiopian there used in the first century context, this is actually before there was a place in the world called Ethiopia. This was a way in the Greco-Roman culture to refer to a person who was a black person of African descent. And so he's referred to here as an Ethiopian, and we're told that he's a eunuch, that he serves in the court of the Kandake. Kandake is the word from which we get our English name Candace, but it's not so much a name as it is a title, kind of like Pharaoh. And it's used to refer to a female leader in the Nubian kingdom of Kush, today modern day Sudan. And so this um, man serves in the court of this female queen, this kandake of the leader of of the empire of Cush, the Nubian queen. And and we're told that he's a eunuch. And so given what we know of history and culture, we can piece together something of this man's story. Um, We're actually not given his name in the text itself, But the second century Christian leader Irenaeus writes about this man and tells us his name is Simeon Bacchus. And Irenaeus is discipled by Polycarp and Polycarp was discipled by John and John was discipled by Jesus. So if Irenaeus calls him um, Simeon, I'm gonna call him Simeon, okay? So Simeon um, is this eunuch serving in the court of the queen. That means very likely... That when he was just a little boy, that he was taken away from his family to serve in the court of the queen, that he was taken away from his family, that he was made a slave, and then one of the first things that would have happened to him is that he was castrated, because a eunuch was believed to be safe to be in the presence of the queen. So this is a man who has really unimaginable trauma in his past. As a child, to be taken from one's family, to be made a slave, to have this sexual brokenness. And yet, he has risen up the ranks so that by the time he is here in this story, he is the the secretary of the treasury. He's in charge of all of the finances of this prosperous kingdom of Cush. This is a very important, powerful man, and yet, very likely, he has his whole life felt like an outsider. Based on his trauma, based on his woundedness, based on his experience as a slave, he has likely felt excluded, an outsider, marginalized. And then he hears about this God, the God of Israel, who chooses a nation of slaves and makes them his own makes them the special object of his affection and blessing. And this God who chooses this nation of slaves then liberates them from slavery, from bondage in Egypt. And he says, I want to know that God. I want to follow that God. And so he's able to assemble a collection of scrolls to be able to read what we would today call the Old Testament. He begins to read about this God who chooses a nation of slaves, liberates them from bondage, and he begins to read and, and learn about who this God is. But then I can't imagine what it was like for him when he came across the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 23. And he read the words of Deuteronomy 23.1 that say, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Excluded. One more time. He reads those words and he says, that's me. I'm excluded. But but, but thankfully, he kept reading. And and so eventually, he would have gotten to the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he would have come across these words in Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56, beginning of verse 4. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths. And he says, hey, that's me. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name. A name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord. and, And he says, that's me. Foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord without desecrating it and and hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And he hears that. And he recognizes, that's for me. That's an invitation for me. And he says, I got to get there. I gotta get to Jerusalem, I gotta get to the temple. And so he goes to the kandaki, he goes to the queen and and says, hey, can I take a trip? Can I be gone for a little while? I've gotta get to Jerusalem. And and he hires out a chariot and he he makes this long, arduous journey from Sudan to Israel, to Jerusalem. And I can't imagine what it must have been like. I'll, I'll never forget the first time that I came into Jerusalem on a bus and just saw the ancient city, saw the temple mount, took my breath away. My eyes filled with tears. And I have to imagine that's what this guy felt after reading those words, this invitation, a house of prayer for all nations. That's for me. And he gets there and he begins to explore the the Temple Mount. He he enters into the court of the Gentiles and he's looking around, he's taking it all in. And then I have to imagine once again that his breath is taken away. When he sees the sign that's posted, a sign that you can actually go and visit in um, a, a museum in Istanbul, Turkey today, a, a stone sign that was from the temple in Jerusalem that says this. No stranger is to enter within this balustrade around the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. you're not welcome here, no further for you, excluded once again. And then he leaves Jerusalem, he's in his chariot on his way back to Nubia, going along this desert road, and then all of a sudden, alongside the chariot, here comes this Jewish guy that's just running along. And we pick up the story there in um, verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot. I mean, I just love the image, don't you? Like, he's just running, trying to catch the chariot in obedience to what God has told him, go stay near the chariot. That's not an easy task to do, right? Then, he, then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading?" Philip asked. "How can I?" he said, "Unless someone explains it to me." So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So, so Philip runs up, and presumably it seems that at, at this point the chariot has stopped. And, and, and Philip runs up alongside the chariot, and he's standing there close by, right? The spirit said, "Just stay near the chariot. Just just pull up close." And so he's standing there near the chariot and begins to hear the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. He's still trying to understand this God, this God of Israel. And so he's reading through the the scroll of the prophet, and it would have been customary in the first century world that you didn't read quietly, silently like we do today. All reading was done out loud. So Philip hears the words that he's reading and recognizes what's happening and asks him, do you understand what it is that you're reading? And Simeon says, How can I, unless somebody explains it to me? And then we get this really, really powerful moment in the story that if we're not careful, we'll read right past. The Ethiopian eunuch invites him in to the chariot. His whole life, Philip has been taught and been reinforced over and over and over again that there is a boundary That there is a border between me and him. Between us and them. And now he's being invited into the chariot. I I find it really interesting that God doesn't command Philip to get in the chariot. God just tells him to get close. And then when he gets close, there's an invitation. An invitation that he knows he needs to say yes to. But his whole life, he's been taught there's a boundary, a border that you don't cross between me and him, between us and them that, that I think in this moment, he's saying, Lord, you want, you want me? Do you want me now? Do you want me there? But Philip climbs up in the chariot with Ethiopian eunuch. And then the story continues. Verse 36 no, I'm sorry, not 36. Verse 32. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself, himself? Or someone else. And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. It just so happens... That as Philip runs up alongside the chariot and it is standing nearby, he hears the words read from Isaiah the prophet and particularly Isaiah chapter 53, the story of the suffering servant. This word about Jesus that was written 700 years before Jesus came and fulfilled it. This word about the one who would come and would suffer for us in our place that that would bear the, the, the burden of sin and guilt and shame. And and Philip hears these words, and the the eunuch says, who is he talking about, himself or somebody else? He says, let me tell you about Jesus. And he gives him the gospel, the way way that Paul would later summarize it, that, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The the God took what was ours, our, our guilt, our shame, and he put it on Jesus so that he could take what was Jesus, his righteousness, and put it on us. And Philip shared that story, that good news with the eunuch. And then watch the response. Verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azatos, and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So God had called Philip to go to this desert road where he has an encounter with Simeon Bacchus, this Ethiopian eunuch. He invites him into the chariot. Philip climbs aboard. He shares with him the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And then the eunuch sees water. And I've heard this story a thousand times. I've read this story a thousand times. I've taught this story a thousand times and yet it wasn't until studying this passage again this week that I recognized the profundity of his question. The uh, maybe fear in his question. The the, the doubt in his question. the, The pain in his question. Right? The, the question is, what can stand in the way? His whole life, something was standing in the way. His trauma, his sexual woundedness, his ethnic identity. His whole life, time and time and time again, there was something standing in the way and now he has heard heard this good news about Jesus, this news that is too good to be true and he says, what? Standing in my way. And Philip says, nothing. Nothing. Because a way has been made for you. A way has been made for you by Jesus. There's now and forevermore will never be anything that stands in the way between you and God. Never be anything that stands in the way between you and God's people. There's nothing standing in the way between you and this water because the way has been made for you by Jesus and it can be yours merely by trusting in what he has done on your behalf. And this beautiful moment where Philip... And Simeon together go down into the water. Simeon is baptized. Now, what you need to know is the way this story is often told is often with an emphasis upon the significance of this man for bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. That the whole story arc of Acts is from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, and, and Simeon is an important character in the gospel going out to the ends of the earth. So certainly within the larger framework of the book of Acts, that is true. And yet, it can miss something really important about this story. Because when the story is told that way, it sounds really like he's just sort of a cog in the machine, that that he's really just some kind of a, a pawn in the divine game as opposed to the object of divine love. And yet what we find in this story is that God sent Philip here for this one man, out of his great love for this One man, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Yet you give yourself away. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And may we never sing that just with a focus on ourselves, but recognize that is true for the world around us. That that God had this reckless, never-ending, overwhelming love for this one man and sent Philip there to encounter him, to bring him the good news about Jesus. Dr. Willie James Jennings, in his commentary on the book of Acts, captures it this way. He says, Too often the eunuch has been interpreted simply as an instrument, as a necessary linchpin for evangelization and mission into the unknown parts of the world. Such ways of reading the story miss the joy that fills this scene and reflect a vision of humanity as nothing more than tools and a vision of God that has forgotten the extravagance of divine love. God has come for the eunuch precisely in his difference and exactly in the complexities of his life. He matters, not because he is close to worldly power and thus a more appealing pawn. He simply matters, and he is being brought close. He will no longer be far from home. Now, as we wrap up our time with this story this morning, the two truths that I want you to see embedded in it and then two tasks for us. Two truths, two tasks. Truth number one is this. There is no one in your life who needs the gospel whom God does not already love. There's no one in your life, that that one person that you so desire to see gospel transformation brought to their life, you need to know God loves them more than you do. God cares for them more than you do. That, That God loved this man and he sent Philip to him to bring him the good news of Jesus out of the extravagance of his love. He matters. And we need to rest assured in knowing that those people that we care about that we long to see the gospel transform their lives. God cares about them too. God cares about them more than we do. There's no one in your life who needs the gospel who God does not already love. The second thing I think you need to see in this story is that there's nobody in your life who needs the gospel in whose life God is not already present and active. Right, long before Philip ever met Simeon on the road, God was already doing something in Simeon's life, in Simeon's heart. And the same is true for everybody in our lives that we care about. We, friends, don't bring God to anybody. God is already present and active in their lives. He cares about them. He is wooing them to himself. He is working sovereignly, providentially in their lives. There's nobody that you long to see gospel transformation take place in their lives, in whose life God is not already present and active. Two truths and then two tasks. Simple. Stay close. Be ready. Stay close. Be ready. The power of proximity. The Spirit said to Philip, Philip, Just stay close to the chariot, see what happens. Our call as we seek to pray for and invest in the lives of these people that we want to see gospel transformation in their lives, our call is just to stay close, to to maintain that strong sense of relational connection of proximity. Stay close and then be ready and watch what God does. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the beauty and the power of this story. For the way in which it so reveals your heart for the world, your heart for one man, your heart for us, your heart for those that we care deeply for. And we thank you, Lord, that you care deeply for them too. And that you are present and at work in their lives. And that our call is to stay close and to be ready. And when that moment comes, when that door is open, when that invitation is given, that we might climb up into the chariot. (laughs) That we might be ready to tell the story of Jesus, the good news of what he's done for us. The good news that you, God, made him, Jesus, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We thank you for this today. We thank you that a way has been made for us because of what he did on our behalf. And we celebrate that reality now in this response time. And so we give you this prayer, we give you this time in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org/new.